Hello, everyone, and welcome to Game Critics After Dark. I am your host, Richard Nyack. Tonight, Mass Effect. We're going to dish on the now infamous ending to Mass Effect 3, thoughts on the two previous games, and where we think the series stands in gaming history. But before I go any further, I must state that we will be spoiling the entire series, not just Mass Effect 3, but everything related to Mass Effect. So if you do not want to be spoiled, stop listening to this show right now. And now that that's out of the way, let's meet our panelists for the evening, starting with a familiar face, our own Brad Galloway. How are you, Brad? Doing really well, Richard, and very glad to be here. Excellent. And also joining us for the first time on either of our shows, please, please God, it took me all 30 seconds to get tongue-tied. Uh, <laughs> You're good, dude. You're please, good. <laughs> please welcome the editor-in-chief of RPGamer.com, Michael Cunningham. How are you, Michael? I'm doing wonderful. How are you, Richard? I'm doing fan-freaking-tastic. Well, folks, let's get right to it. Mass Effect 3, as you may have heard, exists. Uh, it seems like controversy has surrounded this game for the last 12 years. Um, now, Brad and I have already spoken about Mass Effect 3 on uh, to some length on our main podcast. So, uh, Michael, would you care to start us off? Uh, what did you think about Mass Effect 3? Oh, not a problem at all. Um, I did review uh, Mass Effect 3 for RP Gamer, so... Um, I got it around the same time Brad did, and we chatted a little bit about it during our playthroughs. But um, I I absolutely loved Mass Effect 3 as a whole. I thought it was a fantastic game. I enjoyed it probably more than the first and second game, either of those, um, but mainly because of the first and second game, having played through both of those and all the experiences that it built up to and a lot of the set pieces that took place during the middle of the game, were absolutely really touching. There were certain moments of it, and I know we can get into the specifics of those just a a little later, I'm sure, but there were certain moments in the game that, I mean, just had me on edge because I just wanted to see how things played out. I had, you know, I felt like you'd built relationships with these characters that had been going on for years. So seeing how certain things played out, seeing how characters interacted um you know there were a few things that you know i could easily nitpick as far as the game as a whole not even touching on some other things that we'll talk about but as far as the game itself went i really really enjoyed mass effect 3 as you know just on the whole brad uh what did you what's your what's your take um, pretty similar to what Michael said. Um, I really, uh, just to give people background on, on my personal preference uh, with the series. The first one I loved. It's one of my favorite games of all time. Um, so no matter what anybody says about the elevators or the Mako, I'm going to love that game just forever and ever. It's going to stay in my top ten of all time, Just I'm sure, for the rest of my life. So uh, I love, love, love Mass Effect 1. Mass Effect 2, uh, as I'm sure everybody who comes to Game Critics knows, I was not so much a fan of. I gave it a really low score or comparatively low. If you want to look at Metacritic, I thought it went in a lot of wrong directions. I thought it made a lot of wrong choices. Uh, I think it overreacted uh, to a lot of the criticisms that people had of Mass Effect 1. And although I think that it – I mean it was good. I don't want to say that it was terrible because it wasn't terrible. But I think that in comparison to Mass Effect 1, it just – it hit so many sour notes for me that I was really disappointed uh, because I did feel like it had a lot to live up to and, and I just – I couldn't get on board with everything about it. Um, so going into Mass Effect 3 – I was prepared to be disappointed again uh, because I think uh, with everything that's going on with Bioware, 
uh, and their other games, their relationship to EA and how the industry has been going, the ad campaign, the demo. I was ready to start Mass Effect 3 and just and just frown my way through it. But I will say, um, after I got past the first maybe hour and a half or two hours, which were pretty sucky, once you get past that, it really takes off, it blossoms, it opens up. And I was really, really satisfied with it. I felt like it wasn't quite where I wanted it to be, but it fixed a lot of the things that I didn't like, and it brought a lot of new things to the table. And I really feel like the focus of the story really connected with me again. So I felt like it redeemed the series for me. I really uh, finished strong on it. And I had a really positive feeling. So I'm really, really happy that Bioware did not disappoint me. And I can feel free to comfortably love the series once again. It's interesting that you bring up the idea of uh, overreaction in Mass Effect 2. Because um, as, as I'll talk about later, I I think all three games really kind of grayed out equally in my eyes. But for, for vastly different reasons. Like each each sequel, it seems like grossly overcorrected for the flaws of its predecessor. Um, but uh, we can talk about that later. Right now, did you guys know that this game had an ending? Were you aware of that? <laughs> no, no. I was I was wondering, yeah. Michael. I mean, did you know? Somebody said something about it on the internet. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I might have seen like like a tweet, like one tweet about it at some point, I think, maybe. Some Modern Mansions. Yeah, it was yeah. weird. But uh, anyway, in all seriousness, there has been a lot of internet blood spilt over this ending. There are petitions, there are FTC, or, I mean, there is a FTC complaint. Um, there's just all, all kinds of just discussion and arguments, and people are punching each other in the face, and it's, it's, it's getting messy. But uh, so... Before we talk about the ending, I want to talk about uh, an iOS app called The Final Hours of Mass Effect 3. That uh, It shed a little bit of light onto the development process of the game. And one of the things that is talked about is uh, that they left the, in- the ending intentionally very vague and kept details out specifically so it would cause, quote, lots of speculation for everyone. Now, I I personally wasn't angry with the ending as it is now back when I originally finished the game, um, but I was very confused. Um, I thought that there was that there's a lot of missing exposition there. And assuming what uh, Final Hours of Mass Effect 3 says is true, the idea that they would intentionally leave content out that would have let that ending make more sense, that that, that does irk me quite a bit, especially since it really fuels the conspiracy theory fire about them leaving it vague just so they can sell DLC for it later. Um, what do you, what do you guys think about the ending? If I could jump in really quick. Um, I, <clears throat> there's a couple things. Okay. So number one, there was always going to be DLC for Mass Effect 3, regardless of what anybody says. I mean, that's just how EA works. That's how Bioware has been working. That, that was never in question. So in my mind, regardless of how the ending came out, there was going to be DLC period. Now what that DLC will be, we don't know, but I'm saying it's, it's coming anyway. Um, and as far as like the, the leaving things open, I mean, you know, just putting my cards on the table for a second, I got to the ending and honestly, I liked it. I thought it was fine. Um, I respected the writing team and not wanting to, you know, bullet point every single aspect of, of the ending. Because I mean, seriously, I mean, people make jokes about, you know, when you get to the final confrontation and the bad guy takes a half an hour to do this long expository speech about his entire plan and he unveils all of his, his machinations and stuff. I mean, that's like, it's like a stupid trope and it's, it never happens in real life and it's really silly. And, you know, I think it's kind of, uh, I think it's kind of cheesy that people would really want like every single thing spelled out. I mean, I, I can understand it being clarified to a certain extent, but for me personally, anyway, I felt like it was okay. It could have been a little tighter in parts, but. 
you know, so, I didn't need like a whole spreadsheet well, of. So, of Brad, answers. do you th- one one question I want to ask you? Don't you think that that uh, kind of overlong expository speech at the end would be appropriate for something like Mass Effect? Because I mean, you've spent this entire series going through uh, reams and reams of dialogue trees. So, I mean, wouldn't one of those be appropriate at the ending? No, I don't think so. Because I mean, how stupid is that? You get to the end, and then all of a sudden, like. You get like quote unquote the answer and it all I mean unfolds. I mean you, you look at the, the the Reapers and their bizarre unknowable history. I mean the whole series has said you know we can't fathom the Reapers' motives and even though I don't really think that's true, uh, you know they kind of they kind of put them out there as these kind of Lovecraftian creatures from the dark edges of space. And and when you get to the end, I mean I think it's a pretty classic sci-fi move that humans often cannot understand the thinking of aliens. Like sometimes in some of the great sci-fi novels, it's like. We just don't understand what they want. We don't understand what their motivations are. We don't understand their culture. And I think that's fine. I think that in a real sci-fi setting, it's pretty unrealistic to have all the answers when things tie up. I mean, when you look at the game itself, it's 30 hours of wrap-up. And I'm sure we'll get into that. I mean, every single plot line in the game completely tied up with a ribbon and a bow, which is awesome. I mean, that is great to me. But in terms of, like, the, the big secret, the big answer, the big question, it's kind of an existential thing for me. For me, personally, I thought it was okay to not get all the answers. I think what you're saying, Brad, is kind of leading into a point that I've had, is I don't think people's complaints about the ending are all the same. Um, you know, when you when you have talked about this, what do you see as people's complaints about the ending? Do you think it's because things weren't cleared up, that there wasn't this big, long exposition, that things weren't explained is that what you see the complaints are? Because my complaints about the ending are totally different. Right, right. And, and you're, you're very right. We should be very clear in saying that there's a lot of different camps who are all equally upset about the ending. Mm. So I think there's, and there's not just one just giant homogenous body of people who are, are not happy. I mean, to me, it seems like off the top of my head, there's people who are upset about little holes like the wrong team members being on the ship or maybe the game not explaining how certain people are on the ship at the end. Or, or there's there's that contingent of people who are like really um, educated on the lore of the game, whereas you know it, I guess it was apparently established in the um, that very final DLC that came out in Mass Effect 2, where it said if you detonated a, a Mass Effect relay, like there was no surviving it, and it was like 100 million nuclear bombs, and the whole corner of the solar system was dead. So people have kind of extrapolated that to say, well, in, in the ending of Mass Effect 3, when the mass relays blow up. The entire universe is dead, so way to go, Shepard. And to me, that wasn't really established. I mean, I know people want to go that route. And so there's people who say, oh, but Garrus is stranded on this planet. He's going to starve because he's a copper-based life form, and apparently he's on a carbon-based planet, so he's going to starve. And to me, it's like, no, he's not. I mean, you don't know that. How do you know that? You don't know. I mean, they left it open, so there's those. And then there's, I think there's also a contingent of people who say, I didn't understand the ending. I wanted more ex- exposition. I wanted to know who this little ghost was. What's going on? And then there's like a whole other contingent of people who say, this is bullshit. They cut some stuff out. There's going to be DLC coming. It's the, uh, you know, Shepard was indoctrinated because of those little gray clouds at the edge of the screen and because the camera pulled back too far and because Shepard didn't have any ammo on the gun. She She's dreaming. And so this, this whole ending is false. And it seems like there's, you know, there's at least I can think of three or four camps. I mean, Michael, what, what do you think about people yeah, who are and that's. That's strange because my complaints, and I'll, I'll talk about that, don't really touch on any of those things that you mentioned. Um, but you're exactly right. There's so many different complaints about the ending 
um, from people talking about when Casey Hudson stated before the game came out that it wasn't just going to be an ABC option and that it was, you know, more sophisticated, something along those lines. Right. And, right. you know, you've seen the, the pictures they put up with his quote and, you know, ABC between these three, you know, options that you get at the very end. Right. But right. Okay. I, I think that, you know, from what I've heard you all talk about before, that we all seem to enjoy the game itself. I have no I, problem I, with Mass Effect as a whole. What got me and was really part of the ending itself and part of the problem that I had was from the moment you started that charge to the beam. Um, that was where everything fell apart for me. Um, it went from this great set piece. You had gone through the whole town. You'd met with your um, your whole crew. You'd seen all kinds of things going on with the crew. You'd seen speeches they'd been given. You, you got to chat with people. And, you know, while that was kind of a nice little build-up right before the final battle, you're charging down. You've got a couple squad mates that are with you. No idea what happened to them. You don't – some people said if you didn't get the, get enough – readiness points that you'd see them dead i didn't see them at all i don't know what happened to them i don't know what was going on that last few minutes and you know maybe that's the feeling they wanted to give you but you know you go in once you do that and you go to the beam and you're in the citadel everything from there on for me just felt rushed and incomplete it wasn't that i wanted big long exposition um i just wanted something I felt like everything that happened from that point on was, you know, like finished in a weekend. And that's what the behind-the-scenes app kind of talks about. It seems like it was rushed. They were changing dialogue at the last minute. They delayed recording sessions. You know, it just seemed – it didn't seem like they were doing anything to give uh, – how did you phrase it? That they wanted to have lots of speculation Mm-hmm. It just seemed like they didn't have enough time to do enough to make things clear. Like, like what would you have wanted to see there? I mean, because I, I have heard that echoed in other places. And, I mean, that's cool if, if people feel that way. But I don't – I mean, explain to me, like, how or what you would have wanted to see there or, or, or what makes it feel so incomplete. I mean, I'm not uh, arguing with you at all. I just want to oh, kind of no, understand it better. Yeah. yeah. Every other aspect of the game, from your time on Tachanka, from – you know, going through the Geth ship, all of those had some kind of resolution to them, had some kind of impact. You had decisions that you were making that mattered. You were doing things that even to the last moment had an impact on what was going on. Some things were a little more already set in stone and based on your old decisions. But from the time you got up into the Citadel and the encounter with the elusive man, that felt completely horribly rushed and i can understand i didn't want a big boss fight um i didn't need him to just sit out and spell everything out but it just felt and i played through that section you know multiple times just to really see if there was anything that mattered differently if i'd gone more renegade if i'd gone more paragon just to see if there was any kind of change there and it just felt it felt hollow and empty that whole segment did um, and even more so, what actually happened doesn't bother me. The actual content of the ending, how things wrapped up, didn't actually bother me. I didn't mind, you know, that 
you know, Anderson, you know, he's trying to work with Shepard to convince the elusive man he's been indoctrinated. Parts of that scene just seem incomplete. They're just, it felt like there was more to it that could have gone on, and it just seemed so empty and hollow. And from the moment you go up into the top of the Citadel or wherever it is that you meet with the Catalyst, that part didn't bother me as much, the whole content of it. And that's that's what I was saying before. Is some people probably complain, well, this makes no sense. This has no lore. I didn't mind that. And I didn't mind even the three, you know, the decisions that you would make. My problem was once you made those decisions, I didn't care. You know, the first decision I made when I went through there, and I tried all of them just to see if there was any variation. The first decision I made and the one I wanted to, you know, to be my shepherd's playthrough decision was the synthesis decision. I did that one too. Mm, You jump down the center, sacrifice yourself, you know. That's the one you all picked too. Or? I, I actually did not have uh, that option at the end of my game. I only had the uh, destroy and take control. I, I actually chose just uh, uh, take control. So just FYI. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. But I chose the synthesis decision, realizing that you know Shepard was going to sacrifice herself, and that that would be a big epic ending to the whole thing, and. Yeah, I completely knew that what would happen up there, nobody else would be around to see. It's not like they could sing the glory of Shepard from here on out and say, oh, well, you know, once she got up there, she met this catalyst and she jumped through this thing and, you know, caused synthesis. I understand that nobody was going to know what was happening because nobody was there. But the very next thing that you see is people shooting on Earth, you know, the Reapers taking off, the... You know, the Normandy flying through one of the mass relays, crash landing. It just, I mean, it was so sad and pathetic to see that's the only, you know, I didn't need full resolution. I didn't need to know, you know, well, and then Garrus lived happily ever after. You know, I didn't need that, but just something. Any, anything would have been helpful. I think you are on to something there, Michael, because my my biggest problem with the ending and like, I mean, like both of you guys, I didn't really have a problem with the, the content of it. I didn't have a problem with the uh, idea of what the catalyst was. I didn't have a problem with the, uh, the mass relays needing to be destroyed. But what I think is the central problem with the ending for, with a lot of people, at least for me was confusion. And the reason for that is that I think is when you are at that point, when you get on that that elevator that takes you to where the catalyst is, you are so drained when you are at that point because it's just, it's like you were saying, Michael. It's just this this such such this huge build up to that point because you had those you know those goodbye scenes which were heart wrenching. You had this massive rush toward the beam, and then you get up there. Anderson dies. You get to kill Martin Sheen, and it's or I killed Martin Sheen anyway. I think he, he kills himself if you don't kill him. But anyway, I killed Martin Sheen, and then right after that, all of these new ideas, like all of this new, all of these new threads, are introduced very quickly, like within the span of five to ten minutes, depending on how fast you do things, and it's. It goes by so fast that I just I, – I didn't really comprehend what was happening. Like the first time – when I finished the game, like I said, I chose the 
uh, I chose the took take control of the Reapers decision because I didn't, I, I, I felt bad for the Geth. I didn't want to just blow them up just because they were synthetic. That didn't, that didn't seem right to me. So I chose that option. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I, it's the cutscene that happens. And then you see the Normandy flying through that explosion and they crash land on this planet somewhere. And it's just, I, I, I could not piece that together in my mind. So I was like, I wasn't mad. Like I said, I wasn't mad. I enjoyed the game as a whole, but I was, after finishing the game, I was just, I think I just sat there still for kind of uh, a few minutes just because I was kind of stunned, uh, to be totally yeah. honest with you. I, I pretty much sat and was like, really? I on, honestly, thinking about it, if it had ended when Shepard jumped down in that, I guess you didn't see the synthesis ending, but she jumps down. Yeah, I, I watched and, a video of it, so I know what it is. But If yeah. it had ended at that point, and... You know, nothing else had happened. I almost think it would have been better than watching the Normandy fly through this, you know, fly through the mass relay and crash and people walk out and, oh, yeah, you know, what's going on now? You know, if they had ended it before that and made it more dramatic, even that might have been better. Oh, so, yeah, Brett, that, I, well, that's, that's interesting you say that, Michael. I mean, I got, sorry to interrupt you, Rachel. Well, I was going to ask you, Brett, I was going to ask you a, uh, a question yeah. that is, when you finished the game, you said you, you liked the ending immediately when you finished it, like you were happy with it, correct? Yes, I was. Yes. Okay. Were you able to piece together what had happened? Like, were you able to just connect the dots with everything that happened in that final that final five minutes? Like, were you left stunned or confused at all? Well, I really, I really identified with what you said, Richard, because it's it's a pretty incredible lead up um, to get to the beam and the closing. I mean, I think the push through uh, London or whatever it is at the at the end is really cool. I really liked talking to all your people before you get to go, and you know. This is it, man. Like, this is the end. I mean, you, you're ready for it. And so it was really physically exhausting. It was really emotionally exhausting. And it was really just this giant buildup. And, I, you know, I do want to make clear that I do think that ending could have been cleaner. It could have been tighter. Um, but I think that what happened uh, in general is that BioWare just put all their chips in and said, you know what? We're going to just go for just raw emotion here. We're going to go for just pure drama. It's going to be sloppy, and clearly, you know, like like it was said in that content, and and like people have said in other places, they didn't have enough time, or they didn't devote enough time to really to really get it airtight the way it should have been. But I think the, I think the point was to be drained and to be exhausted, and you know, I think in real life, when you go to certain certain things, like when you get married for the first time, or when you go, you know, if you ever perform on stage or something like that, like you know, a lot of times you just you don't remember what happens. Like you go through it, and it's so fast, and it's so emotional, and you're so overwhelmed. And by the time you're done, you're like, what just happened? What, you know, I, I can't remember what I did or how did that go? You know, like it's, and, and that's kind of the feeling I took away from this. I felt like it was such a huge thing and it was so overwhelming and it was such this, this giant, you know, rapturous closure that it was kind of okay that I felt really tired and exhausted and I didn't really understand all of it because it was so huge. And that seemed, you know, it seemed kind of appropriate to me, like in terms of emotion and tone. So I, I, I think that was okay. But I did want to say also that if, if the game had ended with Shepard jumping into that beam, I think that would have also caused a riot because people would have been like, well, what happened? What happened after that? We didn't get anything. I mean, I think that would have also set the internet on fire, but There's I don't know. probably no good way to end it. Though. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that that would have caused a, a Halo 2-style uproar, which I don't know if you guys remember that, but it it basically, yeah. it, when it ends with Master Chief uh, just going to Earth and then it fades to black and that's it. That that caused us pretty sizable uproar at that time as well. And uh, so, Brad, just to uh, clarify, the end of Mass Effect 3 was just as exhilarating as your wedding day. Uh, it was pretty close, man. Pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Well, 
Oh, I'm go ahead. Wife, I'm not going to listen to this podcast, so that's okay. And nobody tell her. If anybody tweets this, you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> to kind of go back to what Brad was saying, though, is the emotional impact that you had from so many other points in this game did not match up to the same emotional impact that I felt at the end. I didn't feel any at the end. At, by the way it was handled, I was like, oh, Shepard sacrificing herself. Hmm. Okay, this was kind of out of, you know, it just didn't fit the same way as watching in my playthrough, sending Morden, Morden up to sacrifice himself. That had way more of an impact on me than the final ending, the way it was handled, the way it was shown. You know, just watching him go up in that with all the explosions going on around him and, you know, his goodbye to everybody during that. I mean, even still, I can remember that clearly. Um, on the, uh, the I, sorry, I'm drawing a blank. On the planet where uh, Legion. Rannoch. Uh, yeah, Rannoch. Yeah. When Legion sacrifices himself to revive or to reprogram the Geth or however that actually worked. Mm-hmm. You know, that had more of an impact on me because there was – here's I, – I guess this is my thing is the characters have always been the biggest part of the game for me. I love all of the characters, and I felt like once you hit that last part, they were all thrown out the window. There was nobody there. You know, I understand that probably wouldn't have been a good way to do it with the three-choice handling and going up and doing that, but there was no – I don't know. Maybe I'm just – you but know, that's kind of the like thing, though, because it kind of shows that so. everything is on Shepard's shoulders, you know? Like, regardless – I mean, you wrap everything up with all your teammates. You get mega quality time with every single character in the series. So yeah. it seems like – like I, I guess I'm not sure of what you would have wanted at the end. I mean, like a little everybody like holding hands and you know gathering <laughs> a circle around Shepard's body. She looks up and says goodbye to each one in a turn. I mean, I don't know. It's just – it's like it, – to me, it's like the whole aloneness and the whole nobody's here. It's It's just Shepard. Nobody's around to help me make this decision. I don't even really know what's going to happen after I make this decision. And there's just, it's just, you're just like totally alone. And that to me really resonated. I mean, I think the other uh, instances you mentioned were all emotional. I mean, I thought there was many, many good moments Mm -hmm. in Mass Effect 3 overall. But to me, like that solitude and the fuck, like, what do I do? Like, I don't even know. And it's just like, ah, you know? I I know what you mean because I hesitated too. I was like, well, which of these options do I really want to take? But it just didn't and, – and I agree. I'm not trying to say I wish you know they were all there and it was like, oh, well, goodbye, Shepard. You know, have fun diving <laughs> in and blowing yourself up or something Sorry, like that. Sorry, I was kind of just – I was kind of screwing with you there, you know. No, but I mean seriously, there's probably people out there that would have wanted that. But for me, it just really seemed like there was no impact for me because it was just by itself. You didn't – when you saw him come off the ship, that was that was it. You didn't see any kind of, you know, sadness. You just see Joker coming out and whoever else comes out with them. There was no, you know, what's going on. It was just that one little shot and they kind of fade away. And that was, if if they were going to show that at all, at least, you know, some interaction or some emotion to that. There was and, nothing. And I think I, uh, I actually do agree with you, Michael, in that um, – after, because no matter what you do at the end, the uh, the mass relays are, are gone. They are destroyed. Um, so galactic civilization, as you know it, is is changed forever. And what I think was was missing from that is not necessarily the characters specifically, but how like all these different groups are going to coexist now. 
because you know at the end you had that thing with Buzz Aldrin, that little kid on the moon. It was talking about like it was talking about the shepherd and like the legends, which was it, it, that 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 was weird. Like that was a giant leap from like when the Normandy crashes to when like it shows like I mean I'm guessing it was the moon, but it was something. And so uh, yeah, I forgot all about that. Yeah, what, <laughs> Richard? Richard, three words, buddy. Three words. Mass Effect Four. Well, that's we're going to talk I have about three letters DLC. <laughs> <laughs> we're actually going to talk about that a little bit later in the show, but I think that is a, another big problem is that I had with it is what is the state of uh, civilization after that? Like even just a little hint would have been would have been sufficient there. Um, so this can does. Move on. Can I? Can I? Can I just? I want to ask you guys a question. I really want you guys. No, no you may. Guys, it's, it's forbidden. Sorry. Damn. Damn. <laughs> go, go ahead. So okay, so Michael, uh, Michael, you picked synthesis, right? And I picked synthesis yes. as well, correct? Mm-hmm. And Richard, you picked control. Now I wanted to ask you, Michael, what did you think you were getting when you picked synthesis? Because when I got to that point, and I want to hear about your ending as well, Richard, what you thought you were getting? Because when I got to that point. You know, we clearly haven't had enough detail in exactly what's going to happen. Like, we just don't know. So I just wanted to know, uh, specifically about synthesis, like, what what did you got, What did you think you were getting, Michael? Because when I got to that point in the game, we haven't had very much information about what it means. I mean, they kind of gave you this brief overview. Everything will be combined or merged or whatever whatever it is mm-hmm. that little guy said. And I'm like, God, you know, do, what does that really mean? I was like, is it going to be like they're going to take everybody and mash them up and like everybody's going to be gone and it's going to be a whole new race. Like are, are they going to be unrecognizable? Cause that to me would be unappealing. I didn't want to kill everybody like that. And then I was like, but wait, what if they just, what if they just combine them or something and everybody survives? Like what if they don't need to eat food anymore because they're just, you know, they can plug some AAA batteries in their butts and everybody's happy because they're, they're half synthetic or something, you know, like I was kind of, I was really curious about what I was going to get. And so I wanted to know what did, what did you think you were getting when you chose that, uh, Michael? When I went through that, I, I kind of fed into the way I'd been playing the rest of the game. I had been mostly Paragon, except when there was some situation that I just, you know, would have played myself, Renegade. I'd hit those Renegade interrupts quite a few, but for the most part, I was a good, my Shepherd was a good girl. She was, you know, for the galaxy, doing everything she could. So when it got to that ending, I found out that, okay, I can control I can destroy, or the synthesis thing sounds kind of interesting. It's like they made it seem like it was an option that would help both sides, that everybody would be happy. And, you know, I I really did just sit there for a few minutes going, what in the heck does this mean? And I tried to go back to the Catalyst to see if, you know, I could talk some more and see if they'd even repeat some of the same stuff. I I did the exact same thing. And it didn't. So I was like, oh, crap, I wouldn't. Maybe I wasn't paying close enough attention. What's it really going to do? I was like, well, I'm just going to walk forward and see what's going on. And I walked forward a little ways, and I was like, okay, this is the synthesis path. And next thing I know, she starts running. I'm like, yeah. (laughs) I thought the exact same thing. I was like, oh, shit, I just wanted to get a closer look, and I'm locked into it. (laughs) Yep. I was like, all right, I guess that's my ending. Oh, man. And and I sat and thought, too. I was like, well – it seemed like it would be the answer that would cause this cycle not to happen again. And that was my thoughts to it is everything else seemed like it would just come full circle again and maybe I'd do the right thing for now. You know, these were my thoughts without thinking deeper, just in the moment. I was like, okay, you know, the Protheans died off trying to do the same thing. They didn't help. Apparently, you're 
50,000 years or however many years it was before them. The same thing happened. So I was like, if this has a chance to fix that, I'll take it. And that's, that was the option that I chose in my thought process behind it. It's interesting that you guys both chose the uh, the synthesis ending because, like I said, I didn't have uh, that third option because I I was told that I only had to have like five thousand military readiness or or whatever on the on that little green bar, and apparently you had to have ten thousand to get the ending, which didn't which I so I didn't have it, and I didn't want to look it up for myself for fear of being spoiled. So I got to the ending, and I only had the two options. Um, I chose control. Primarily because the way I was interpreting it is that Shepard would become the catalyst. I don't know if that makes sense now, but it made sense to me at my uh, emotionally drained state that I was in at the time. Yeah, and the way they explained it, yeah, wasn't and the way that the way really that, detailed, anyways, because if I remember correctly, the Star Child says uh, you will lose everything that you are, and you will just become a a machine more or less and that i i interpreted that as like you will take my place you know you will oversee the 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 cycle from now on and then the other option was you will just destroy the reapers but you will destroy all synthetics which for one that doesn't make any sense to me at all like why would what destroy the reapers destroy the geth too like i i don't i don't get that and two i didn't want to destroy the geth i was the, the geth were my buddies like i would because the uh I love the Legion, so I'm with you. Oh, yeah. Because, like, the end of Rannoch was the, uh, like, where, you know, that big geth walks over to the Corian and, like, you know, they make peace with each other. That was the best part of the game for me. And I was just like, oh, yes, I've wanted to see that for three games now. But <laughs> it, it, it's, and it's like, oh, well, you'll have to destroy the geth and the Reapers. I'm just like, that makes absolutely no fucking sense. So I'm just going to take control of them instead. So that was my thought process. And there was no, I don't want to do either option. Yeah, know? there was no just like because like I remember, I, I actually I'm gonna sit down and do nothing. Because like here, here's what I did after I after the kid was just like make your choice. I stood there for a second. I looked at the two things on the side. I looked back at the kid and I started shooting at the kid. And I'm just like, hey, t- tell me more. I, I don't understand what the hell's going on here. Tell me more. So. But yeah, and then I did that for like I think ten or fifteen minutes, and I discovered that that gun never actually runs out of bullets, which is weird. But anyway, <laughs> um, so any other thoughts on uh, the ending, or have we have we made our cases sufficiently? I, I just want to say one more quick thing. I, I wanted I wanted people to know I was really nail biting before making my choice. I really I I was there for quite a while before I made a choice, and I was really afraid. But when I finally did make the synthesis choice. I was kind of, you know, holding my breath, and when I mean, I, I realize that this this part isn't good for everybody. But when I saw my characters get out of the ship, and they had they looked like themselves, but you could see like a little bit of like circuitry imprinted on their skin or whatever, I was like, oh, thank God, they're still alive. I mean, maybe they're different. Maybe they're, you know, they're they they don't need any more food or they don't need to breathe anymore or something like that. But at least they're they're, they're still there. That. Huh? I, I I didn't see that. I I, them, I so. didn't notice that video no. I watched either. Yeah, they there's no there's imprinted all over their skin and their their flesh, so they look like they're themselves, but they have yeah. like these mechanical, you know, the the uh, I guess you know little yeah. metal threads running through their skin. So I was like, oh, okay, so that's what synthesis meant. There's still that part too. It was so brief that I didn't even you know get a chance to notice that or pay attention. Oh, interesting, interesting. Well, anyway, anyway, as soon as I saw that, I was I breathed this huge sigh of relief, and I was like, okay, I'm good, I'm fine. Because if any, everybody had been killed, I would have been pretty disappointed with that, but. 
It worked out. <laughs> yeah, it's like take the synthesis ending. Everybody will be joined. It'll be fine. And then next thing you know, your whole crew and everybody you know and everybody on Earth's dead. And you're like, oh, gotcha. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, folks, we need to take a quick break. Stick around. We're gonna have more Mass Effect goodness when we come back. have an extra guest with us uh, this evening who uh, couldn't be here earlier, but he is here now. Uh, I'd like to introduce the sweet, pleasing... Uh, uh, no, no, <laughs> no. I'd like to introduce our former host... In, no, no. I, Tim, I just... I, I, I can't introduce you. It just it feels cosmically wrong somehow for me to do that. I, I just... I, Tim Spath is here, so just... I, I don't know. Hello and welcome to... The game critics, I don't know how else to start talking. I'm not used to this at all. It's very uncomfortable for me, but Richard, you did, you did a fine job there. Thank and you. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for indulging my, uh, my first Brett Favre unretiring moment. Yes, and hopefully we will have, have, uh, many more of those in the future. Um, so, Tim, I want to ask you the, uh, the questions I have already asked our other two panelists this evening. Uh, first, what did you think of Mass Effect 3? Well, first, Richard, let me say, thank goodness someone is talking about Mass Effect 3 on the Internet, because I, I, it's, it, there's such a void of discussion. I, I've already made this joke, Tim. Uh, I, I learned from the best. I already made this joke. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I would be surprised if my answer to that question is much different than uh, anyone else's, and, and I will say that apart from the first couple hours and the last 15 minutes, I think Mass Effect 3 is, by leaps and bounds, the best Mass Effect game. Yes. Okay, okay. So what about the ending in particular? You mentioned those uh, last 15 minutes. My my take on the ending, and, and I'll, I'll give you my interpretation and why it, it bothered me to a degree. Uh, you know, I, my, my feeling was, as my shepherd leapt into the green beam of synthesis that was the ending i chose uh that that essentially the galaxy needed to be rebooted and uh in order to get rid of the reapers we had to eliminate the reason for the reapers to exist we had to eliminate mankind and and we've created this man machine synthesis and and we had to like i said reboot the galaxy and that meant blowing up the mass relays it meant uh, you know, when, when we see Cyber Joker and Cyber Edie getting out of the Normandy, I, I kind of interpreted that as, as an Adam and Eve moment where we're now rebuilding civilization on this, this Eden, and we're, we're essentially starting over. And it, that is 
you have to connect a lot of imaginary dots to get to that point, I think. And it is so far in left field from what the rest of that game is about that I couldn't help but be disappointed and confused and left with far too many questions. Um, I, I, I like an abstract ending. I like things to be ambiguous. Uh, I don't. F- I, I feel like this one was perhaps too ambiguous. There were too many unanswered questions. Um, but in the end, it didn't bother me at all because the 35 hours that preceded it were everything I wanted that game to be. I mean, Mass Effect to me is about my shepherd. It's about the choices I make and the relationships with with my characters and my crewmates and and all that resolution that I was hoping would be in that game, all of the payoff that we've been building up to for, for three games was there. So I, I really didn't care that the last ten minutes were just kind of this goofy, off-the-wall uh, ending that, that left me fairly unsatisfied. I, I, I don't even think about it, because everything else was so glorious. Interesting, interesting. Either of you guys want to respond to him in any way? Yeah, I'll uh... say one thing onto that is... I agree completely. You know, I've already said my point that I hated the ending and thought it was a complete and total mess. But it didn't ruin any of the rest of the game for me. I still think it was a fantastic game, fantastic experience. And having, you know, in the break, gone back and watched the synthesis ending again, it's the first <laughs> time. It's the first time that I realized that okay, Joker really is. Part, but you know, cyborg now. You know, I I still didn't see it the first time. Maybe I thought it was bad lighting or horrible graphics effects at the time. <laughs> and I realized the reason I made that synthesis ending was to just allow Joker and Edie to be together. Hmm. It's very it's very touching, Michael. That was romantic. <laughs> it is. I'm a, a little weepy right there for a second, guy. Okay. So, uh, Brad, did you have anything you wanted to add to that? No, I mean, I totally, I hear what Tim's saying, I'm, and I'm with that, too. I think okay. everything you said makes sense, and I'm down. Okay, so brings me to the final question of this uh, first segment, is there has been, like I said at the beginning of the show, there has been uh, copious amounts of internet blood already spilled over this ending. There are petitions, there are protests. Uh, so do you think that the ending should or even can be changed? Uh, Brad, I'll start with you. Um, can it be changed? Yes. Uh, you know, unlike, unlike, unlike my VHS copy of Star Wars, which George Lucas would have to physically enter my home to take and change. I mean, I've got my pristine copy that can never be altered, you know, which is great. Games these days, man. I mean, every time you turn on your console, they're updating stuff and patching stuff. So, you know, Bioware could, they could somehow change the ending. That's totally possible. And, and they, they, they actually have all but confirmed, uh, that, le- yeah. that letter by Ray Mizuka or Mizuka. I still don't know how to say that guy's name, but in that letter, he all but confirmed that they are going to work on some sort of post release, uh, content for the ending. And it's, wildly assumed that it will alter the ending or add to the ending in some way. Yeah, I mean, I, I read that, and it's still pretty ambiguous what they're going to do. I mean, but in my personal opinion, should it be changed? Um, I think that if they want to just tweak a few things and just clarify things, I mean, I know a lot of people were flipping out about how did these characters get on the ship. You know, it seems like there's a little bit of a gap there, a little bit of, of sloppiness. Um, like, that kind of stuff should be tightened up so that there's no weird how did this happen because that didn't make sense but in terms of like the actual content of the ending 
I'd be fine with it staying the same. I mean, I really wouldn't be bothered because, you know, kind of like what Tim said, that game went above and beyond giving me everything that I wanted uh, everywhere else, and I'm, I'm just fine with it. Like, it just – is it perfect? No. Does it bother me? No. So I'm, I'm fine with it. Okay. And uh, Michael? As far as the ending goes, the one thing that keeps coming back to my mind is even before this uproar, what were they going to do for DLC? You know that they have stuff planned. You know there's going to be something. Even before all of this craziness happened, you've got to wonder what they were thinking about as far as DLC. Because could they really go back and do post or pre-ending DLC and just say, oh, just replay it again and you can find a new character or do different things and go back and do that? It almost seems like they had something in mind already for an, a just – you know, a post-ending edition. Mm-hmm. But as far as the ending itself goes, I don't think it, the content of it should be changed at all. I would be totally fine if they were to add something to that ending segment that was more of a, just more, you know, mm-hmm. when the ship's flying down the mass relay, you know, show Joker, you know, don't just pan away, want Tim and Edie hug or, you know, whoever's in the ship with him comes out. You just barely see some of the other characters walking out there to even know they're alive. Mm-hmm. Show something. And then there's wait, wait, the ending. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, but but okay. what, though? But what? I want to know what, because you keep saying something. So just, you know, just spitball. Like, what would you want to see? Like, how long would you want it to go on? Just out of curiosity. Uh, all right. Here's like, the thing. Right again, like, the BioWare's at your door. They're like, dude, Michael. Here's a blank uh, legal pad. Go to it, buddy. What's what's right. in it going to be? You know. Now I've got some notes that I'm going to pull out. <laughs> you know, I've been taking since I've done this. So the things I would like to have seen was you know just show some close-ups. You know, show me you just show this little door opening and people coming up there, or maybe lead more into it. You know, show them on the ship. Show them getting on the ship, like you talked about. Show something else going on on Earth, and then. You've got to think, too, they touched on one ending where it looks like Shepard's actually alive in one of the uh, – I can't remember if it's the control or the, the other destroy, ending. The destroy ending. The yeah. destroy ending. Okay. You know, they show Shepard, like, you know, under a pile of rubble but moving. There's – and that's the thing is I don't think it needs to change, but if they were to add a little more depth – it's totally – this is a totally different game, but do you all – Final Fantasy VI, do you all play that? Yes, mm-hmm. I did. Okay. The ending of that game didn't add anything to the content. It didn't you know, have a bunch of revelations going on, but it showed you know, the characters. It showed what was going on with them. You know, If they didn't make it, if you didn't find them in that world, you saw they weren't there. You know, there was so you, you the traditional, the traditional JRPG ending, is kind of what it sounds like. That would have been fun. Something like that showed <laughs> a little more. The traditional JRPG ending would be something where you know Shepard's alive, and it's like, oh yeah, I came back to life after all this, and here I'm gonna high five everybody, and you know all that crap. But just just something. And I don't know. Michael, That's the can, thing you, is, can you elaborate on the Final Fantasy VI ending a little bit? Because I, I have played that game, but it's been so long that I don't remember the ending to it at all. So you can just can you just give a brief okay. description of it? Now, what the, the part I'm talking about is not everything building up where you meet 
the villain and he gives this big long dialogue and you're like, okay, now we fight. But it's after that you see everybody escaping, you see people leaving the area, you kind of see what happens to those people afterwards. And that's the thing I guess I would like to see, and maybe it will happen in DLC, is what happened to everybody else. I want to know what happened to the other people after the fact. You know, we see Joker that's kind of become cyborgish or whatever. Show me at least I don't have to hear them. <laughs> Show me something of what happened to all the characters that I did save that were still around, that still had a part to play. Did the people run into the beam? Did they die? Did they not die? I want to know that. Okay. That's what I wanted okay. to know. Okay. So uh, I was going to throw straight to you, Tim, so go ahead. Yeah, I guess here's, you know, in regards to what the original intent of the DLC was, at the end of the game, after you have that clip where Buzz Aldrin does the voiceover with the kid, and he and the kid says, tell me more about the legend of, of the shepherd. I don't know if he calls him the shepherd. but He does call him the shepherd. Yep. The shepherd. And then it cuts back to the Normandy with Shepard on it. And I think the intent for the, the original intent of the DLC was here are some more of Shepard's adventures that you never got to participate in. So I think it was all intended to take place before the end of the game and the destruction of the Citadel. I, I think the one of the chief points of, of anger of, of the young gamers out there, at least this seems to be the case on uh, – on the game critics forums is that the destruction of the mass relays undoes all of the good that Shepard did over the course of the three games. That's their argument. I don't necessarily agree, but the idea that he has saved the Turians and the Krogan and the, the Quarians and the Geth but now with the destruction of the mass relays, none of them can interact with each other, and they're all isolated and by themselves, and they won't be able to work together as a galactic federation. And I, I, my feeling would be you could probably satisfy all of these people by showing a 20-second cutscene of engineers rebuilding mass relays. Exactly, exactly. Mm. Or, or at least a twenty-second cutscene of the various uh, various races communicating with each other, because yeah. even without the relays, they still have those those holocom things. I mean, I'm sure that I'm sure they could talk to Admiral Hackett afterwards, and Hackett would be like, "Hack it out" every single time. So I'm sure that they could they could, <laughs> they could fit like ten ten more of those in there. So totally, it's just it's really bizarre to me that so many people immediately jump to like the most negative possible interpretation. You know, like people saying that everybody. And the universe died because the mass relays blew up, that nobody can ever travel again, that, you know, Garrus is going to starve in the jungle. It's like, dude, why are you guys getting so negative? It's like, I mean, seriously, the technology still exists. There's engineers still alive. People can still build things. I mean, like, you know, we can we can fix this. It, why is it so fatalistic? It's so weird to me that so many people went that direction. And correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, most spaceships are in the Mass Effect universe are capable of light speed travel, aren't they? I'm not that deep into the lore. I, I can't answer that. Okay. It, it, to me, it does, I, I, I don't know. And, I mean, does it matter? They can just wreck <laughs> on anything. I mean, who cares? It's fiction, you know? Well, because I was going to say is, like, they do still have some limited aspect of space travel. They just can't go as far. Like, there probably just won't be a Citadel counter. Yeah. Anymore. I mean, but I think my whole point is, like, 
this is not real. It's a video game, and there's going to be like a resolution. And if the develop, developers and EA wants this to continue, in the next game, there's going to be like the world, you know, the universe's most brilliant engineer who's saying, "Oh my God, hey, look, I just reinvented even better mass relays. Hey, look, I just got this food synthesizer for Garrus, and he survived." I mean, who cares? Like, you don't know, and anything that happens in this game can totally be worked around in the next game. I mean, there's like, you know, battalions of fanfic people who could easily write their way around this stuff. And yet people are going on like it's the end of like their lives. And it's like, dude, what are you guys well, talking about? Seriously. Let, let me let me just warn you, Brad, by saying the phrase, this is not real, it's a video game. Yeah, I know, right? You, I stepped in it, right? <laughs> you're, a de- you're, just, you're a dead man. Just be aware of that. <laughs> I was just saying, you, you don't say that to the, the fan fiction writers. It's just it's, it's not proper to do that. Uh, well, somebody's got to bring some perspective to this, man. I mean, regardless of what our feelings are, I think in general it's pretty safe to say – this whole Mass Effect three, Mass Effect three ending debacle has just gotten like so bizarrely and disproportionately out of control. It's it's a little ridiculous, a little bit ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I agree. Can I can I, I want to comment on something Michael no, mentioned? No, you may not. It's not. Please. It's not being I, to, okay. Go I, ahead. I'm not. I'm I'm not used to not having any control. All Please right, go ahead. <laughs> the uh, the idea that that. We want to see what happened to everyone else is interesting to me. To have that sort of Fallout 3 type montage where we go from, you know, city to city or planet to planet. For me, I don't really care what happened to all of the other characters because in London, when my shepherd had those final conversations with every surviving character, that was all the closure I needed because outside of the context of my shepherd's relationship to those people, I don't really care about them. And I got that finality through those conversations. And I I don't know if any of you made sweet love to Liara, but you have that final moment with Liara where you're like frozen in time. And I don't know if she's like taking an image of you for her time capsule or if, if you're like impregnating her in that moment or whatever. But like that was, that was a beautiful moment that neatly capsulized my relationship with her. And I just feel like anything else, like Liara finds my body, you know, floating on an asteroid or somewhere, somewhere would just cheapen that, don't you think? I do, and I think that what does cheapen that is what little they do show of them at the very end. And I mentioned this before, if they had just cut it off and not even shown them getting out of the ship, leave that, you know, big unknown you're leaving a bunch of unknowns anyways. If they'd have shown that, you know, maybe even that would have been different. Who knows? It, like Brad said, it would have probably caused even more outrage or different kind of outrage. <laughs> different outrage at least, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. But when they showed them and they showed them getting out of the ship and you just barely see, you know, Liara or somebody walk out of the ship at that point, it's like, eh, so what? You know, at that point, I just – that's the biggest thing is I just didn't care. Yeah. You're right. I, I didn't care mm-hmm. anymore. My feeling is Shepard's dead. The story's over. It's it's done. You know, I don't know. And anyway. I think I, I think that is uh, that is correct, Tim, because mine uh, at the end of my game, my uh, romantic interest was was Garrus. And the scene that you get with him at the end is just so pitch perfect for both his character and how I was playing my Shepard at the time. It just. It, it 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 felt like it, it was the finality I wanted regarding his character, and I think, uh, like you said, fi- Garrus finding Shepard's body in the rubble of the Citadel or something would uh, 
would would cheapen that quite a bit. Uh, Did you make love to Garrus? You do. Tell me about that. Um, (laughs) It's actually – well, there are uh, numerous videos on YouTube where you can just – you can watch the scenes yourself. But uh, it's interesting that the alien characters or at least like the non-Liara alien characters are the love scenes where you actually see the least – because um, like, like you see them like hugging or kissing, and then it just it fades to black after that. You don't see any of the actual act. It was Thane for me, so mm-hmm. yeah, it, yeah, that was weird. So <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, re- really, the, the 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 sex scenes in in Mass Effect and really in in uh in all Bioware games have never really been they've always just been kind of awkward to me. Like it's just. You, you do all this stuff, and then it's like your reward for it is seeing two character models rubbing together awkwardly. It's just it's never never just worked never worked for me at all. But you still want it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I do. Any of you guys get together with a trainer in the shower? I yes, did, I did not. Uh, I felt dirty after that. I totally I totally turned off my console and rebooted. I could I couldn't go ahead with that. Did you did <laughs> did you uh was your shepherd in full uniform when she got into the shower? Yes, yes. Because, because that was hilarious. That was, that was the weirdest yeah. thing ever. Yeah, that was bizarre. It's super bizarre. Yeah. That make that makes it sexier, doesn't it? No, that makes uh, it. <laughs> I don't know what that makes it, but it's not good. I don't mean to take us off track, but I, I do want to talk about sexual relationships and lovemaking for just a moment. Um, because in Mass Effect One and Two, I, I played the male Shepard. It sounds like you guys all played Lady Shepard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my my goal was to make love to as many characters as possible and to just be as amorous as I can possibly be. And so that was Liara in the first game, and then I think Miranda and Jack, and then in the Shadow Broker DLC, I got back with Liara. And I wanted to do the same in Mass Effect 3, but I found myself so connected to Liara after what we had been through in Shadow Broker, that I was actually faithful to her. And I turned down Miranda, and I chose not to hit on Trainer. And I thought, gosh, what a strange thing to be uh, to, to be faithful, to want to be faithful to a fictional character. And, and that, that was an actual sort of change that had happened to me over the course of the three games. Same thing happened to me as a renegade. I played hardcore renegade through one and two, but knowing that I was going to say goodbye to these characters in three, I found myself not able to say negative things to them because I knew I'd never see them again. And I just couldn't do it. And so I found myself shifting back to Paragon. And, and I think that just speaks to the power of the writing or the scenarios, or I, I don't know what it is, but it, it just impressed me to no end. Interesting. Interesting. Well, folks, we are going to take another uh, short break. We'll be back. else, the uproar around Mass Effect 3's ending speaks to just how big and important to uh, to people this franchise has become. So my next question for each of you is, what are your thoughts on Mass Effect as a whole? What are your thoughts on the Mass Effect franchise? Do you think it's, do you feel that it's 
lived up to its potential? Will you look back on it fondly? Uh, Brad, what do you think? Well, I do want to give Bioware props for undertaking something which has essentially never been attempted before, as far as I know. I mean, the way that the decisions from one game carry into the next and the way that the story threads all go together and how the entire thing was, you know, basically conceived as a multi-part epic from the start. I mean, that, that, that's a pretty major thing. I mean, I don't, as gamers, we, you know, we think it's a big thing, but I think from the development side, and granted I'm not a developer, but I can only, I can only suspect that it must have been a pretty brave, pretty scary, pretty, oh my god, what the hell are we doing kind of venture. So I want to give Bioware just major props for even undertaking it, uh, at all. Um, in terms of, of what I think of the series overall, I mean, I, I think it's really good, man. I mean, I, I, I can't say that I love it. Because of just certain decisions that were made, I think how the core RPG-ness of it got stripped away a little bit, uh, a little bit too much for me in two and even in three. Um, and I was especially unhappy with number two. I just, I just have very few fond memories of number two. And it's, it's hard for me to love the series as a whole knowing that there's this giant piece of it that I just was really unhappy with. Um, but overall, I mean, I, I love Commander Shepard. I love my Commander Shepard. I love so many of the characters. Uh, that, you know, we spent time with and, and so much of the series is, is just so epic and, and full of spectacle and wonder and, you know, and I'll always have Mass Effect 1. I mean, I've got so many fond memories from that one in particular. It's just, it's great. Um, I, I heard somebody saying earlier that it was the most important science fiction epic of our generation. I'm not exactly who they meant by our generation, but I, I do want to say, like, I don't think that's true. I don't think that Bioware has, has gotten to that point because and no matter how much gamers love Mass Effect, there's a really, really large number of people um, in popular culture who have never heard of it, who don't know what it's about. And it's not its not like a Star Wars or something like that. It's not even like a Lord of the Rings. So I think it's smaller in scope and, in, and smaller in reach. But within gaming circles, I do think it's, it's left a, a giant footprint that uh, will not be eclipsed anytime soon. Brad, I want to ask you about something you uh, you just said. You said that um, the core, the quote core RPGness, was uh, stripped away in the second and third games. Can you can you elaborate on that? Like, what was stripped away? Um, well, I think uh, getting technical just for a second. I think a lot of like the the inventory and a lot of the skills. I felt like it never got as good as it was for me in the first one. And I don't mean like the inventory, like the actual inventory management system, because that was kind of a mess in the first game. But I just, I felt like it was really stripped away in number two. Like there was too many elements that were gone. Uh, like it just wasn't as satisfying to tinker with your team's gear. I felt like I had less control over like, you know, I mean, it sounds kind of silly about what they wore and what guns they had and what their specific powers were, but it didn't feel as deep or as nuanced to me. And even though it was better in three, it didn't feel quite as good. Um, now I haven't gone back and played them all or replayed them all and done, you know, side by side analyses, but I just have this really strong feeling like it just became a little bit too streamlined in two and three for me. I kind of wanted more, uh, more RPGness. Uh, I think it makes sense in number three because everything is coming to a crescendo, so you can't really screw around and, and having things be more streamlined kind of is okay for that. But in, in Mass Effect 2, I re- was really disappointed that it was, it was so stripped down. Like it was, just unbelievably stripped down to me. Well, no, I had one thing I wanted to touch on what Brad said real quick, just as far as the actual RPGness of 2. I think it wasn't so much for me that they cut out RPG elements as much as they made it more third-person shooter-ish during Mass Effect 2. Sorry, 2 that as too. opposed to 1. That too. And, you know, I didn't mind the actual gameplay aspects of it, but some of the changes they made to make that happen were kind of a problem. You know, corridors, all that stuff. There just wasn't enough to that. So, 
I, I didn't want more RPG elements because I really don't remember a lot of the RPG elements from one. So, you know, I, I haven't been on your podcast before and I haven't really shared my experience with Mass Effect, but Mass Effect 1 was a game that I tried playing before I was really into Western RPGs. And the very first attempt I took at it, I went through part of the first mission and just bailed. I had no interest in it whatsoever. Hadn't really played a lot of Western RPGs at all, but wasn't interested at all the first time I attempted it. Uh, Fallout 3 kind of got me into Western RPGs. I was a little more open-minded. I know it's kind of a totally different experience, but I did go back, try it again. Still didn't really like the actual gameplay of Mass Effect 1 whatsoever. Um, it just felt clunky. It felt awkward. But I loved every other aspect of it. I loved the characters. I loved the decision-making. I fell in love with Commander Shepard, you know, the decisions I was making. And like Brad mentioned earlier, I even liked the elevators because the conversations that went on there were fantastic. <laughs> Always been my favorite part of Bioware games is the conversations that the characters have. That kind of interaction's always been my favorite. So, and that's something that I really think they nailed in Mass Effect Three, uh, much more so than in the previous two games, because the the inter NPC banter that occurs is is highly entertaining. And I would almost say it was the exact opposite for me. I thought one did it so much better than the others. Really? Because other than the actual epic scenes where you would see hardcore interaction, just the casual banter that would go back and forth just i didn't i didn't feel it i didn't see it there and that that brings up another point on three i'll kind of nitpick on that in a minute but i got through mass effect one finally and enjoyed that i I really liked how it ended up and the ending felt really epic and i was getting into it by the end so when two came out i was like okay i'll give this a shot and i had a much better time playing it even if i didn't care much for the whole corridor style I didn't feel like I was struggling as much to enjoy the actual aspects of the gameplay. But it kind of went off course because it gave me something I love in RPGs. It gave me a ton of characters. I love characters in role-playing games. My favorite aspect of them whatsoever. But it let me down because it didn't really do much with them. You know, you'd get them, you'd get their intro mission, you'd go on a loyalty mission... They wouldn't really do a whole lot of interaction. Kind of like you said, Richard, in part two, they didn't do a whole lot of interaction and a lot of banter back and forth, I Mm -hmm. didn't think. And I think that was because they had so many characters to work with, they couldn't really focus on it. So, you know, there were were things about two that kind of were off-putting. You know, the story there was just kind of real narrow and not as focused or tight. So when I was playing three... I loved all the character interaction that came in, like I mentioned earlier. But the one thing that I did kind of find that kind of nitpicked on 3 was the whole Reapers on Earth thing at the very beginning was stupid. I mean, Mm -hmm. that was the most ridiculous part of it, to start that game off with Shepard having been sequestered on Earth or whatever. You know, oh, the Reapers are coming, the Reapers are coming. No, they're not. You know, everything blows up. Oh, yeah, the Reapers are here. So, and on top, I always thought it was strange that they chose that for the demo. Like they chose that opening level. Like it seems, yeah. it seems like if they had done the stuff on Mars, it would have been a lot better. Yeah, and just the whole fact that the Reapers are there, and you're like, oh, well, they're here. They're going to destroy Earth. These things are enough. You know, they're big enough. They're mean enough to destroy this whole area. But I'm going to go gallivanting across the galaxy. 
of course, that's the best part of the game, so I wasn't going to complain to do all that stuff. Just the whole setup for it seemed ridiculous. Oh, I totally agree. That was the exact same problem I had with Red Dead uh, Redemption. It's like your wife and kid are supposed to be kidnapped and they're, you know, being held in enemy hands and you got to hurry up and get back to them. But wait, I'm going to go rope some cattle. I'm going to go skin some beavers. I'm going to, hey, what's that over there? I'm going to check out that cave over there. Oh, yeah, I'm going to do this bullshit. It it totally kills the impetus. I massively agree with you, Michael, everything you just said down the yeah. line. And mm-hmm. and I loved all the things that I was having to do. And, you know, I was going out, oh, the Reapers aren't on our planet yet, but could you go save so-and-so? And, you know, could you go cure the genophage? And can you go stop these ships? You know, I understand having to do all of that stuff, but the whole setup of, Oh, by the way, Earth's being destroyed during all of this, and that's the whole point of you going out to do this is to come back and eventually save Earth. That kind of seemed, you know, kind of ridiculous as far as a setup goes, but I could forgive it because I enjoyed all the other things that came in. Mm. The one thing that I do have that I really didn't like about three as much was the lack of squad mates. I felt like every squad mate that you got in two that was new was, you know, they were gone. They were just story aspects of it. You didn't get to bring them back in for anything. You had a couple people. You only had two really kind of new squad mates, if you don't count the DLC, which I didn't get from Ashes, so I didn't have the Prothean with me. And, mm. you know, I just, I feel like I missed out on that. And that's another complaint I had was, you know, the, that DLC, the way it was handled. It's interesting that you say uh, the lack of squad mates is a problem because I actually thought that was a, uh, a strength coming from uh, from two to three. And Tim, I, I think you felt the same way, didn't you? I, yeah, I did. I mean, it's it, when you have that many people, it's it's you know, as you had in two, and I, I don't remember what it ended up being, like eleven. It was eleven. Well, c- counting the well, DLC characters, it was twelve. Um, but just base character, base characters, it was ten. Yeah. Okay. And you know the 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 thing with that is there are there are only so many dialogue combinations that you can realistically write during the development of of a game. So if you cut the roster in half, theoretically, and I'm doing some very simplistic you know math here, uh, you can write twice as many dialogue combinations with half as many characters. And and I found the character interaction in three to be much richer. Um, I didn't really care that I had fewer, you know, combinations of character types to work with. Um, I was just happy to have more in-depth conversations among the characters I I had to choose from. I guess my problem was the characters that I was given. Only a few of them did I really care about or want to know. I could have taken typically left James. He, He added nothing to the story for me whatsoever. I would have gladly taken anybody from the cast of two instead of him. Edie, I didn't think, added anything new because she had always kind of been there anyways, so it wasn't really any kind of new content she was giving. So I guess <laughs> I didn't want I didn't want new characters, but you know, the ones I was given, I ended up just pretty much going with Garrus, Liara, and Tally over and over again. And sometimes I'd toss Caden in and that was about it. Those are the only ones that I when I did take the others in, I was like, eh, what a waste. I would have liked to have seen how other people dealt with it. That's that's so, hilarious because my team was Edie and James for the entire game. <laughs> <laughs> Just the new people, yeah. And I you know, I didn't want the whole cast again and I understand exactly it probably was being able to write more dialogue and you didn't have to code for connect 
I think that was something that actually mm-hmm. probably hindered it as well as having to code all the voice commands and make sure that it worked for, you know, all the characters they added in too. Mm-hmm. And it's still a shame, you know, I still miss having Rex and I know he could have died in the first game. So it was kind of hard to code for an optional character, but yeah. I still miss Rex. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one thing, and this is a side note, but one thing that's kind of weird in the default game for Mass Effect 2, if you don't import a save, Rex is dead. Like, they, it, that's the default option, is that Rex is, that you killed Rex in the first game. So that's their canon, is that Rex is dead, kind of. Yeah, I, I always thought that was strange. But, uh, I do too, because Reeve or whoever he is, yeah. you know, even, even Rex didn't like him. Yeah. I didn't like him. <laughs> yeah, nobody... that's, a, that's, that's a shame, because Rex is so good on the Tuchanka missions in Mass Effect 3. Yeah. So interesting, and mm-hmm. and I, I can't imagine not having him there. Yeah, even sure. even in 2, like, not have... It's like, because I could see the uh, the places where Rex would be if we were alive, and even then it was just disappointing. I'm like, oh, I don't have Rex. I have this guy who's a jerk, and I don't really like very much, but... Uh, anyway. So you didn't have Rex in any of yours? No, I did. My original... Okay. Mass because the first time I played Mass Effect One, it was on a friend's Xbox, and he has since moved away, so that save is is gone. So, okay. um, as I'll talk about, um, I'm going to throw it to Tim here in a minute and get his thoughts. But as, as I'll talk about here in a second, I actually played all three games back to back recently uh, to just to have a, a shepherd to carry all the way through. But um, I'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, Tim, uh, what are your thoughts on Mass Effect as a whole? Well, you know, I like. The original Mass Effect, I don't, I don't love it. It's probably in my top, let's say, 350 games of all time. Somewhere, <laughs> you're such a bastard, dude. <laughs> somewhere in that list. Uh, I love the look of Mass Effect. I love the music, the, the synthesized John Carpenter, you know, space action. Um, I love many of the properties that Mass Effect draws inspiration from. Uh, I love Star Trek, and I love Star Wars, and Babylon 5, and Knights of the Old Republic. But the actual world of Mass Effect and, and the mythology of that of that universe, eh, it's fine. Um, you know, it's, like Michael said, it's it's really the characters that, that draw me in and, and kept me coming back. But also, with that first game, the chief appeal to me was the promise of how my decisions would play out in the sequels. And it, it hearkened back to a franchise I loved, an old adventure game franchise called Quest for Glory, where you would finish a game and it would ask you to insert a floppy disk to save your character. And you'd start the next game and it would ask you, hey, are you you want to import your character from the last game and you'd insert your floppy and you would go through all five games that way. And I love that whole idea of persistence. It's extremely important to me that my, the time I spend playing a game goes beyond just the game. It's why I like MMOs now. It's why I like achievements. You know, as, as I find it harder and harder to justify the time I spend playing video games, I, I need that persistence to, uh, as sort of evidence that I did something. So, you know, to go back to Mass Effect, the, the idea that my statistics would import, that, that my face would import perfectly without any errors uh, was very, very theoretically, appealing. Theoretically. theoretically. Um, but, you know, it's, it, it is the characters. But, you know, as I look back at the franchise as a whole – you could make a very lengthy laundry list of game systems that failed. 
Um, to me, the Mako exploration of the planets in the first game, uh, the scanning in the second game, uh, I found the whole Galaxy at War, War Asset model to be nonsense in the third game. Like, why is there a number attached to the War Assets? What does that number represent? If that number isn't compared to something or defined in some way, why is there a number there at all? Um, yeah, a percentage, it, especially. Yeah. Right. And, and, it, and that percentage is there so that the other two Mass Effect games on the iPhone, uh, you can manipulate those percentages in, in those games. And, and that's the only reason it's there. But the game does such a terrible job of communicating that and explaining what all of that means. And, and I understand that BioWare wants to have some mystery behind that. But if you put statistics there and you put numbers on the screen, people are going to try to min-max that. And people are going to try to break that down. And, and I think they owed it to us to provide better explanation for those game systems. Um, we talked about the third-person combat. I, I, I found the combat in Mass Effect 2 to be incredibly simplistic. That game was just mindless. It was so simple. And Mass Effect 3, a little more complicated, but also incredibly easy. And I know that you'll say, we'll just put it on insane difficulty. I, I don't feel like I necessarily should have to. The game should be interesting to play on normal difficulty or whatever the difficulty is. Beyond that, I, I, I would much prefer Gears of War 3 as a third-person shooter experience over Mass Effect. So, um, you, know, I, I, you know, to wrap up, just to reiterate what Michael said, to me it's about, it's about my shepherd. It's about the relationship with the characters. Um, so much of what I love about Mass Effect has nothing to do with a game. It's me watching cutscenes. And that's fine, and that's okay, and making the occasional choice. Uh, but as a as a series as a whole, as a video game series, I think there are a lot of flaws and a lot of failures um, that I can live with because the rest of it is so special. It's uh, it's interesting that you bring it up that you refer to it as a series of failed systems because uh, playing all three games back to back as I did, that's exactly what it feels like. And the weird thing is. Each successive game feels like, oh, well, we're going to address this flaw that was in the last game, but then it completely overcorrects for that and causes another problem. And then the next game does the same thing. Um, because, uh, as you said, in Mass Effect 1, you had uh, this very vast amount of space to explore. You could land on the planets. You could drive around in the Mako. Um, there was a lot of space for you to run around in. Um, but the big problem with that was there wasn't really that much to do in that space. I mean, you had those side missions. Uh, sometimes there would be like a pirate base or, or something that you could go find. Um, but other than that, it was just really kind of monotonous. Like you, the resource gathering was you just drive up to a mineral deposit and like scan it or something and then get back in the Mako and drive away. In Mass Effect 2, they said, okay, people didn't like driving around for no reason. So let's just remove that completely and put in this pointless scanning mini game. And that's how you'll get resources. But then, while it's less time-consuming, that wound up even be, being even more boring, because now all you're doing is just clicking, moving your mouse around, well, on the PC, on the you're moving your mouse around on this little planet, looking, waiting for the little lines to go up. So now it's even more mind-numbing. And then Mass Effect 3, 
it's like they just essentially gave up and took that <laughs> took that out completely because now now there is no quote unquote resource gathering there is no exploration um any most of the side quests are acquired by just walking by someone on the citadel and then you go to a planet somewhere you click on it you get something and then you go back to that person you give it to them um and first before i say anything else the journal in Mass Effect 3 is absolutely terrible. It's so vague. And then when you get a quest, sometimes the place where you're supposed to go on the map isn't there yet, and it won't appear right. until after you do a certain mission. And then when it does appear, it doesn't alert you, so sometimes you can just completely forget about something until that you, that you can do now. Oh, yeah. I mm. swear there was a mission to help the Elcor planet, which I'm still upset there was no playable or romanceable Elcor in Mass Effect 3. <laughs> um, there was a mission to save his planet. It listed the name of the planet. I went out and did tons of missions. Could it swear I never found that planet? So I went back to see if he'd say something else, and he was like, thanks for saving us, Shepard. And I was like, <laughs> okay, all right, I'm done. Exact same thing happened to me. Mm. I, I I must have gone back to that planet five times, not realizing I'd already done the mission there, and same thing happened to me. I never saw the planet. No, you know, I just expected something else. So, you know, when I came back to him, and he was like, "With great thanks, you know, Shepard, thanks <laughs> for saving our planet." You know, okay, well, thanks. I guess I did. One th- that that quest actually is one of the bugged ones, so it was possible to kind of play it right. in the wrong order and it triggered off. So it was bugged, but even if it wasn't bugged, you couldn't go to the planet. There was no one to talk to. Nothing happened. And I mean, honestly, yeah. that whole section of of Mass Effect Three was really, really, really disappointing to me. Um, and in my review, I even touched on that a little bit. I think it was even it was even planned to be boring, you know, because now that there was the multiplayer added, it they it's like they made those missions like as boring as possible, so that anybody who wasn't like a completist like me or probably like most of you guys would be like, oh, I don't want to play these. I'm going to play the, the multiplayer and get my, my percentage up that way. And then once you're online, you know, they trick you into, you know, paying for all these unlocks and stuff because who in their right mind would like sit around and unlock those like through the game because it takes forever and ever. I mean, it almost seemed like a scam to me. I wish they had just, you know, cut out the multiplayer and spent more time making those quests interesting. I would have loved to go to the Elcor planet and, and, you know, like everybody else on the internet apparently would have too. Hey, hey, there's nothing yeah. wrong with, uh, playing an online game just so you can get unlocks. There's, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that <laughs> at that at all. That, that Dude, you a, don't even get to talk, man. You, you're pathological at this point. That is you a so perfectly acceptable practice. No, no, no. You've you been indoctrinated, Richard. About. You are speaking with the voice of Electronic Arts. <laughs> There were no shepherd hats. There was nothing. I know. It was. It was. It was. Believe it or not, I was actually kind of disappointed that the game didn't come out on Steam because there were no Team Fortress unlocks. Oh God, I need help. But uh, <laughs> Richard, can I can I ask you a question, Richard? Uh, sure. I'm dying to know something about your your playthrough. Okay. Because I know I know you've been through uh, you had been through Mass Effect One and Two already. Mm-hmm. Um, going through the games again, you knew what was important and what wasn't in terms of what would get brought over into the sequels. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering how how much, I mean, did you go through those games as a completionist? Were you just barreling through Mass Effect 1 and Mass Effect 2? And, and the, the reason I ask that is I, I restarted Mass Effect 1 on PC, and as you know, early on you get to the Citadel, and it's just this endless walking back and forth on the Citadel, doing fetch quests for people and listening to endless dialogue. And I already know who the Elcor are and the Volus are, and I don't need to know about their histories. Did you do all of that again, or did you just skip it? 
I, I actually did do all of that again. I wasn't a completionist. Um, I did some of the side content. I didn't do all of it. Um, but I mean, I, I, Mass Effect, that is my, that is what I go to Mass Effect for. I go to it for the lore. I go to it for the conversations and I go to it for the characters. So I, I mean, I really did eat most of that stuff up. However, I was, Mass Effect 1 and Mass Effect 2, I did play on easy this time around or whatever the easiest difficulty setting is. So it did go by uh, a lot faster. Um, so on three, I played normal. So it went by my about normal amount of time, which I think was about 32 or 33 hours. But the first two games, I think it was a combined total of about 25 or not a combined total, but a total of about 25 or 26 hours a piece, which is, is far less than what I, what I did before. But as far as the, the conversations did, uh, the conversations went, I did, I did stick around for that stuff because I hadn't seen it in quite some time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, just, <clears throat> Excuse me. Touching on the the characters again, um, going through all three games uh, at the same time, we we've all sort of touched on the fact that the characters and the relationships you form with them are the best part of Mass Effect. Like that's what that is the series' juice. That is what draws you in. And compared to the other two games, I have to say that Mass Effect One's cast is actually very weak. Um, particularly because half your squad has almost nothing to do after you recruit them. Uh, poor, poor Tally actually has literally nothing to do after you recruit her. She just stands around in engineering and occasionally you can ask her about her, uh, about her pilgrimage. Other than that, she does, she does nothing. Uh, eye candy. Yeah, eye candy, basically. <laughs> um, but, uh, Garrus, he, it, unless he's got a specific tree open to you, he really doesn't say a whole lot. Like, he won't even talk to you if you try to talk to him. He'll just say, good to see you, Shepard. Um, Rex is, uh, Rex is really the only deep character in the entire cast, I think, because I think he breaks his type really well, because he's initially cast as sort of this brutish soldier type of character. And it's like, as you talk to him, you learn he's really not like that at all. Uh, Liara comes off as very, vapid and naive and made her not really all that interesting. And given what she becomes in Mass Effect 2 and 3, I think that kind of makes sense because, you know, she is a very naive character at that point, but in Mass Effect 1, it doesn't really make her that interesting. And then depending on your gender, either one of Kaiden or Ashley will be very, very dull because they have all of their uh, special conversation options that are tied to their romance cut off. So, and then in Mass Effect 2, they said, okay, well, we're going to give every single character their time in the spotlight, you know, and then they did that. It's all the characters are very vibrant. They all have their own set of missions. They are all very unique in their own special way, and I, I enjoyed all of them. But now there's just too damn many of them, and you just, you don't get to spend enough time with those with those characters. And then in Mass Effect 3, I think what they that's when they finally got that aspect of it correct is that they, they had all these different characters that you cared about, but they tied them all together in this, this central thread that I think worked, worked extremely well. And that is what, I mean, especially looking at the first two games where they really didn't do that all that well, that's where Mass Effect 3 really hit a home run for me personally. I'll agree with you on Mass Effect 1's cast is, and all the optional content. I did very little optional content in Mass Effect One at all. I didn't. Mm. I, I wasn't interested in riding around the Mako and doing resource gathering or any crap like that. 
And the only thing I did consistently was keep Rex in my party and visit him down in the shuttle bay every time I could possibly do it. <laughs> so there was plenty of Rex, Shepard, you know, just back and forth. You know, that's – I guess I had a female Shepard, so it didn't say that. But I, I agree completely with the, your opinion on that cast. Mm. Well, just to chip in a little bit, just to just just to give a little bit of love to Mass Effect One, since it seems like most of you guys are some rotten haters. Uh, I, I liked I liked the openness. I liked the the ability to explore and to find uh, stuff that was out there. Granted, there wasn't like a ton of stuff, but I just liked the feeling of exploring the galaxy. Like that was a big draw for me. Just the the simple fact of wandering around. I mean, that's probably also one reason why I like the Fallout games so much is because I like to just get out there and just see what I can see and find certain things. And whenever I did find something that was cool. It, it was like extra cool because I went out of my way to find it and it, it was just kind of neat. That's one thing that I really miss about the, the other two games. I wish that there was a little bit more of that. I mean, it makes sense in three that they don't have that given the circumstances. But in two, that w- was really, uh, it's really negative to me that they took so much of that out. So I was very disappointed. Okay. So now that we've kind of talked about all three of the games a little bit, I was, I really want to know from each one of you guys, if you had to pick one moment, just one, and I know that's kind of hard, but picking just one moment that really was your favorite or that really stuck with you more than more than anything else in the entire series, uh, what would that moment be? And for me, I'd have to say when you're on uh, – in, in Mass Effect 1, when uh, the gun is pointed at Rex and it's really like hitting home for you during your first playthrough, or for me anyway, that I thought, wow – this is like a main character, and it seems to me like he could really die here, and this is tense. Like, Rex is pissed off, everybody's ready to blow him away, and you got to make that call. Like, that that scene for me is probably my favorite scene in the entire series of Mass Effect because that was the first time in a game when I really felt like, oh, my God, man, these – you know, and knowing that there was more games coming, like, the effect of this was so heavy. Like, it could really – you know, impact, you know, two games down the line, and what does this all mean for me? So, and, and plus I liked Rex, too, and I was really afraid it was going to be one of those Rex dies no matter what moments, which would have really bummed me out hardcore. So, for me, Rex dying or not dying um, was just, was just like, brilliant to me. I love that moment. Love that moment. So, so what, what was the moment for you guys? Just one. Just one. Uh my, I, I do have an answer, but it's actually a very easy answer for me. Um, the moment when you at the end of the Corian Geth mission in in Mass Effect 3 uh you have you have essentially th- you have three choices there you have one is you side with the Corians and uh legion tries to stop you and then you have to kill him and then the geth are wiped out option 2 is you side with the geth and the Corians are annihilated and then tally commits throws herself off a cliff in grief and then the third option is where you can actually make peace with them. And the moment where I was able to so, – because the way they portray the Koreans in this game is just the most incompetent government like you can possibly imagine. Like they're taking their – they're taking themselves to war at like the worst possible time. They're endangering their their civilian populations to a ridiculous degree. And the way that they played that up of Shepard just – fighting against the sheer madness of what they were wanting to do was just done extremely well. Like, th- did any of you, all, all of you took the Renegade interrupt to, to sock that one Corian Admiral and throw him off your ship, right? Oh, hell yeah, dude. Oh, you, yeah. you could not do that. Yeah, I, I almost broke my mouse trying, hitting the, <laughs> clicking the button to, like, just punch him. 
Because like after it was happening, I'm like, no, punch him more, do it again, kick him in the <laughs> kick him in the stomach or something. But uh, once you get that that option of making peace with them, and that speech that Shepard gives there is just, I, even watching videos of that now still gives me goosebumps. That was the the high point of the entire game for me easily. And uh, if I have to pick one moment, it's probably the high point of the series for me. So there you go. It's just the moment when. That big Geth walks over and says, "Oh, you may live on the planet with us, creators." That just, oh, just heart just melted. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. I, mm-hmm. I really did like that one. Mm-hmm. So, uh, whichever one of you wants to go next, Tim, do you have one right in mind? Uh, yeah. First of all, Brad and Richard both outstanding answers, and I loved your explanations for it, and I I totally agree. Um, I'm torn between a few. I'm going to choose a very simple moment, and that was in Mass Effect 3 when we see that Jack is okay, and that this broken, broken, uh, tortured, uh, abused girl uh, who I took advantage of and and had sex with (laughs) in Mass Effect 2... That she is now a mentor of young people, and she's strong, and she's healed, and she referenced the fact that we had sex in Mass Effect 2, uh, in Mass Effect 3. I, it's one of the few sort of uh, happy endings for a character, and, and most, most of the resolutions for characters in, in Mass Effect 3 are come with some damage, uh, come with some unpleasantness, and, and there's a little bit of pain. But with Jack, it's a genuinely happy ending, and I, I like that character a lot, and, it, and she has grown. And it just made me happy to see her succeed in life. And I, that, for whatever reason, when I think back on Mass Effect 3, I keep thinking of that moment. Um, a close second would be the, the entire Tuchanka curing the genophage Love that. Tremendous. Tremendous. But Jack, number one. Uh, quick yeah. quick point I want to bring up before uh, we let you go, Michael. Um, did you guys know it's actually possible to save Morden on Tuchanka? No. no. It is. And here's the thing. Rex must be dead for you, for you to be able to do it. Oh, well, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Morden. Uh, so that just, I mean, yeah, that, that just, I mean, I was looking that stuff up after the game, and that just... I mean, it's particularly that mission, the number of factors that, that go into that from the first game and the second game. Because if you don't uh, – in Morden's loyalty mission in the second game, if you do not save that data at the end, Eve will die no matter what. And that happened to me. Yep. Yes. It's like, oh, really? Yep. You have to save that data and there's – it's just there's so many that, – that mission technically that was the most impressive mission in the game. I don't – the the the, the – uh, the Corian Geth mission, I don't think approached that level of complexity, even though I think I, I got more of an emotional payoff for it. But I mean, looking up the structure of, of Tuchanka, I mean, that, that was extremely impressive. So, but I'm sorry, Michael, uh, go ahead. No, no, uh, that, that kind of leads in. Part of that is what I want to touch on for my moment. Um, I was going to say the very end when you get to pick between A, B, or C, but I don't think that one really hit me as much as the, uh, the, end of the Tachanka mission. Mm. I had not really cared for Morden that much. He wasn't somebody that I thought was a horrible cast member. I enjoyed going to talk to him in Mass Effect 2. I enjoyed getting to see him again in Mass Effect 3. I thought he actually had way more personality in 3 
it seemed like, than he did in part two. So going through that whole part where you're, you know, you're chasing to the Reaper and you're getting to the very end of that section and making the decision, you know, I, I told Rex, I was like, you know, the Solarians contacted me. They were like, we want to sabotage all this. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that. So I told Rex and he's like, yeah, stupid Solarians. And getting to the very end and Morden's entire part where he was like, you know, it, it has to be me. You know, this is me. This is my, my goal. And knowing that he was going up to undo what he had done, at that moment I was like, he was kind of like, you know, the friend that you kind of take for granted. And seeing him go uh-huh. off and do something that made a difference in the galaxy to right what he thought he had done wrong, that stood out to me as the most impressive moment in the entire game because – it made me care for a character that I didn't realize I cared for. And mm. that that was just absolutely fantastic because, I mean, he went up and sacrificed himself, and I was, you know, it meant something to me at that point. Uh, Michael, one thing I want to ask is uh, what options did you – you said you told them about the sabotage before you got to that tower with Morton, correct? Yes. So did you, you didn't try to stop him at all when he was going up there? I talked to him and was trying – I believe the options I was given was, you know, don't go. We'll find another option. And he was like, no, it has to be me. It was always me. He was saying it much faster than I can. But, the, yeah, <laughs> um, you know, that was pretty much the option he gave at that point. Okay. I don't think I could have probably talked him down from that. Okay, because – And I didn't want to. Because the I, uh, the options that you get – when, uh, because I, I actually waited until the last moment to tell them about the sabotage. Uh, my reasoning for that I don't really understand now, but I mean that's what I did. Um, but if you do that, you actually have the option of delaying him and keeping him from going up there. And you can try stopping him, and then eventually he just he figures out it's like, oh, you're trying to stop me, you're trying to sabotage this. And then if you choose to confront him about you know, the genophage, it's like, well, you always said this was right. You know, you said, uh, you know, the ends justify the means and blah, blah, blah. And it's like he just turns back and he just yells at you, I made a mistake. You know, I made oh, a mistake. Oh, and it just – it sums mm. it sums up his character perfectly. Yeah. And it's just everything that he is just completely shattering at that moment. And yeah. I, I mean I didn't get that in my playthrough either, but I did watch a video of it. And it's just – I mean it is something amazing to watch. Oh, that sounds great. I didn't get that either. I wish mm-hmm. I would have seen that. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And and my loyalty, you know, I was a big Rex fan, so my loyalty, I always sided with him anytime I ran into mm-hmm. him. So I, I told him right away and I knew that I, I didn't I didn't think I cared about Morton. I didn't think I did. Mm-hmm. And when that moment hit, just realizing how much I was like, Wow, this really did mean something. Mm-hmm. So And what's also interesting is that uh you, know, you said you, you trust Rex. You, know, you trust him to you know keep the Krogan in control. That they're not going to just you know go off and invade everyone once they get uh, once the genophage is cured. If Reeve is in control, if that other guy is in control, you don't you don't trust him. You do not trust him. The guy is, is an asshole. He's 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 crazy. It's just he's not trustworthy at all. So <laughs> in, in that in that respect, it becomes such a grayer decision. On yeah. whether or not to actually cure it, and it's—I was really kind of even with Rex alive. I mean, I was really kind of shocked that I felt the way that I did. I mean, I did wind up curing it, but it wasn't until the last possible moment that I could do it. I guess that brings up my second 
option that I actually probably would have chosen, just that one simple moment. If you had Rex alive, Reeve gets killed during the chase, and Rex is like, oh, I didn't like him anyways. <laughs> I just love him. <laughs> yeah, that was good. That was good. Uh, so, all right, um, final question for the evening. Um, the ending of Mass Effect 3 more or less leaves the universe as we know it gone. Uh, the mass relays are gone. You know, like we were talking about the ending, we don't really know what the state of civilization is after that. So, but like we were also saying, this is a big franchise now. So now I'm wondering, is there room in your eyes for more Mass Effect down the line? And not just DLC that we all, that we always knew was coming, but like a Mass Effect 4 or a prequel or a spinoff or, or anything like that. Uh, Michael, uh, what do you think? I think they will do something more with it, but I don't really see how they can do something as good as this one. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you know, this was all about Shepard. If they were to try to go back and, you know, use the same universe that Shepard was in, it just doesn't seem to make sense because everybody had their own different universe. And, you know, who's to say which one was really yours? Are they going to try to tie in a... You know, another series where all three of the games led up. I don't think that's possible for them to do that with all the options that were made. Um, whether they do something in that universe or not, it would have to be completely fresh, and I just don't know if it would have the same appeal. So I, I think, you know, just the way it seems like they will try to do something else in the universe, I just don't see it being as successful. Hmm. Okay, and uh, Tim? I, I'm sure I would play Mass Effect 4 or... Mass Effect Brotherhood or Mass Effect Generations, <laughs> whatever, whatever the hell they're going to call it, I would just as soon. I, I, I would prefer Bioware move on to something else, though. I don't need another Mass Effect game. I, I, my, my, I've closed the door on it. I, I loved the experience. Let's see something new. A lot of talented people at Bioware who uh, I'm sure have a lot of interesting ideas. Let's let's branch out and start a new franchise. And it really, I mean, it really did, uh, Mass Effect 3 really closed the door on, on everything. It really, I mean, it closed up every lingering plot thread. It closed up, uh, the ending. I mean, the ending, regardless of what you thought of it, it closed, it, it completely changed the series as we know it. So, uh, it, I mean, it is somewhat difficult to fathom what else they could do with this series. Um, Brad? Um, I, I would be, very interested in seeing where they go next with this. I mean, I think uh, I kind of like where they ended it because, like you said, they put a big bow on everything. Um, Shepard's basically gone. I mean, I don't know if they're going to play off with a Shepard Lives ending or not, but uh, I like that every, all the characters got kind of wrapped up. And I think there's there's this universe. I mean, I kind of hear what Tim was saying, how it's not as, as vibrant a universe as some of these other sci-fi properties out there, and that's fine. Um, but I think there's 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 loads of possibility there. I mean, if you look at what happened, I mean, the mass effect uh, or the mass relays are gone. People are trapped in their own galaxies. I mean, I think there's tons of potential to have all these side stories with different characters and just you know just new characters. It wouldn't have to continue the threads of anybody that we saw last time. It could be all new stuff 
without any baggage, just starting fresh. And that would be great. Like, I'd sign up for some of that. I think there's tons of possibilities. And with all the work they put into the universe, it would be a shame to just see it just be done. Um, that said, I would be totally fine with them letting it lie fallow for a while. Like, I don't want to see yearly iterations. I don't want to see all these, like, you know, crazy different DLC things popping up and have this giant Frankenstein thing stitched together. I mean, I would... If they do something with it, I want it to be really good. And considering that my faith has been really, really deeply shaken with Bioware lately... I would really want them to, to take their time and do their best work and only do it if they really had a strong premise and not just to cash in. It's interesting that you bring up um, the idea of like smaller side content with uh, with different characters because that's – to me, that's actually kind of what Mass Effect 2 felt like because it, it really felt like it would have been more successful as like this series of episodic adventures like mass effect adventure type thing where it's like each episode is one of the character arcs like and so you don't just have all of them jammed into one game you don't have this weird plot with the collectors that doesn't really work all that well so i i i I think i do kind of agree with you in that there is room for something like that but i eh, i don't know that that would be uh that would be interesting so, uh, yes, it would. Yes, it would. So, Michael, uh, you had a question? <laughs> yeah, and that was the one thing I was kind of curious about, too, is thinking about while we're waiting for the future of whatever's going on. When I played through Mass Effect, I played through as a female shepherd. Uh, some of the key things I did, I let Ashley die, romance Caden, saved Rex, killed the council. Um, in part two, everybody lived. Uh Got with Thane, don't know why, it's kind of awkward. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, Mass Effect 3 ended up, you know, getting back with him kind of during his little scene and ended up hooking up with Trainer. And, you know, do you all have any plans to replay the series again with a different perspective? Were some of the choices you made, what were some of the choices you made that you'd like to see kind of how it would play out differently through the whole series? Or do you even care? Is this your one playthrough and you're done? I think there is an appeal to never playing it again and having and not watching other, you know, alternative takes on scenes on YouTube and so forth. But I have this this new PC and I already own Mass Effect 1 and Mass Effect 2 on PC thanks to a Steam sale. So I have restarted Mass Effect 1 and I'm about five hours into it. And right now it's my intent to play the opposite of the way I played on the Xbox. So I'm playing as a Femshep, I'm playing Paragon, and I'm making, I plan to make all of the opposite choices. So in theory, when I get to Mass Effect 2, I'm going to try to rig the ending so that Thane is the only one who lives. (laughs) Because he was the only one who died in my Mass Effect 2, and so I... I'm kind of interested to see how Mass Effect 3 plays out without any of those characters. So wow. I, I I don't know if I, I, I mean, my game time is very, very short right now, and I'm really struggling to get through the first Mass Effect. So I don't know if I'll actually get through it, but that's my intent. Mm. Well, and that makes me curious what happened during the Citadel in Mass Effect 3 in the part that Thane was supposed to be in, in your playthrough, because that, that had such a big moment for me, too, and I totally forgot about that when we were talking about moments. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I have heard about the Thane moment, but there is no equivalent in my Mass Effect 3. Yeah, I was about to say, it probably just didn't happen. And yeah. ended. Um, Brad? Um, you know, I'm not much of a replayer in general. And this is the kind of thing where, you know, like you guys have said, the characters and the story is really what Mass Effect is all about. Like, I don't come to it for for the gunplay. I don't come to it to, you know, mix and match the uh, armor bits, even though I do kind of enjoy that. But it's just about the, the story, the narrative, the characters, the things that you go through. And for me, it's just – it's like a one and done. Like, you know, I see it. I went through it. This, is, this was my experience, and then I'm done. And if I went back, it would just kind of – it would somehow take away or kind of cheapen what I've already get, gone through, and I, I don't ever plan to replay it. I mean, maybe, you know, 10 years or 15 years down the line after it's been so long and I've forgotten everything, I might replay it, but to tell you the truth, I would replay it, like, the exact same way. Like, I wouldn't yeah. – I don't regret any of the choices I made, and I wouldn't do anything differently. So I might play it just to refresh my memory way, way, way in the future, but as of right now, I don't have any plans, nor is there any desire to replay. I did – um because my, my recent playthrough of Mass Effect 1 was actually my third, and uh, the Mass Effect 2 play was, I believe, my second, maybe second and a half. I'm not really sure. I don't. I think I started a second playthrough of Mass Effect 2 a long time ago and just never finished it. Um, three, I actually have a uh, manship for my original Mass Effect 2 play that I'm going to go through eventually and play. Um, I'm probably going to do that with whatever ending DLC or DLC, whatever that they decide to come out with. I'll just, I'll wait for that and then play this other save file that I have. But all three games, um, given that I just did it, probably not for a, not for a very long time. The main reason I asked is I I did play restart Mass Effect 2 on the PS3 this time. And I was trying to replay it as a male shepherd and making renegade choices instead of the Paragon choices I made the first time through. And I was like, eh, this just didn't do it for me. I, I couldn't force myself to play differently. The choices I made were the choices I wanted to make, and I couldn't force myself to make those other decisions. It just wasn't fun. I I had the exact same experience because in – especially in my Mass Effect 1 playthrough, there were just – there were some of the choices that I wanted to make, and I just – I could not – bring myself to do it it's like it just felt wrong in so many ways like i wanted to make uh like i made mostly paragon choices like i let the council die and uh, i punched that reporter and i think there were a few other things that i did but uh yeah it just it, it really is kind of strange because it's like you feel attached to this in a way to where it's like making the quote-unquote bad choices actually does make you feel bad yeah so and that's that's just interesting to me yeah, that was my whole goal throughout the whole series, was to play it as I would, but my goal was to make sure all of my crew members stayed around and stayed alive and liked me. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it worked. I didn't lose anybody in two, and I hated the whole fact that you had to do all things, specific things right in order to not lose people into, I mean, that was just stupid. But what, yeah. What's actually more complicated is if you're specifically trying to get one person killed and just one person. Because mm-hmm. in my in, in my last Mass Effect 2 play, everything I did in that game was dedicated to pissing off the elusive man. Like, I, <laughs> I, just, I just did not trust him at all. I was just like, and so I wanted to get Miranda killed because it's, you know, I don't trust her. She's your best agent. She's, she's out of here. She's gone. And... 
I, I was able, finally able to do it, but I actually had to reload a save a couple of times because I think it's, it, it, the situation in which she died, it's actually kind of random as to whether or not someone dies and if she gets killed. I'm not, I'm still not clear on the exact parameters of it, but needless to say, she was killed. The elusive Martin Sheen popped up at the end. And he's like, oh, uh, I want you to save the collector base, Shepard. And I was like, uh, uh-uh, no way. So I blew up the base. His best agent is dead. He wasted billions of dollars to bring me back to life. So yeah, he was he was pretty unhappy, and so I was I was happy. Uh, so anything else we want to say? Want to talk about? Uh, just for me, uh, I just you know, it's been a long road with with Mass Effect, and there's been you know some parts I've really loved and some parts I didn't love so much. Um, but I have to say I'm a little bit disappointed um, with the fallout from the ending. Um, you know, clearly people have feelings about this game. Clearly they're strong feelings. Clearly everybody has an opinion. And I don't think that there's any ending possible that would have satisfied every fan. I mean, it seems like everybody wants something a little different. So I feel like Bioware was kind of, you know, they made mistakes, sure, and I'm not trying to excuse that. But I think that regardless of what they would have done, you know, a large contingent of, of the, the the Mass Effect fan base would have been unhappy. But But that aside, I have to say it was really, really disappointing to me and really frustrating to see that this game is such a great game. I mean, like, I think pretty much all of us agree that the vast majority, I mean, you know, I think the average playthrough is like 30 hours, so 28 and a half hours of that is, like, super awesome, and it's great, and it's wonderful, and it gives us everything that we want. And, you know, yeah, there was a few mistakes here and there, but everybody imploded over that ending, and it started just to become this giant hate train. And for me to have the series, you know, basically end, I mean, who knows what's coming down the pipe, but to basically end on that note with people hating each other, People calling each other stupid, people hating Bioware, all these rampant, you know, uh, accusations going around. It just like, it was just so disappointing, and it, it seemed to me almost counter uh, counter to what the whole spirit of Mass Effect is about. And I just, I, I got to say, like, I really kind of distanced myself from everything, and I stopped talking to people about it. I stopped responding to posts about it. I stopped bringing it up in conversations and I just like it, it really sucked to me to have everything end on such a bad note and to feel like here's this awesome series and I just don't even want to talk about it because it's just it's so full of venom and, and bitterness right now so I'm just I'm really disappointed that that's that's how it was responded to by the community at large and it is going to be the legacy of Mass Effect that the, oh god the, even the, worse yeah. the ending controversy in in every Mass Effect retrospective that that ever will be, whether it's a year from now or five years from now or 20 years from now, this controversy will be part of that conversation. And it is a shame because that shouldn't be what we remember Mass Effect for. I totally agree. I mean, I just I just can't believe that people who love this series so hard will turn around and they just shit all over it. And it's, it, it blows me away that 100 hours of superb RPG and storytelling is erased by like five minutes of a shoddy cutscene, like it really undoes everything for you guys. I mean, that's just, that's just really sad. Yeah. And even me, I was very vocal about how I disliked the ending and they could have done so much better. Honestly, I don't want it to change. I don't have any desire to go back and play something with a new ending. And it doesn't change the fact that I enjoyed everything leading up to it. And I was just able to just take it and say, hmm, I didn't like the ending. I'll be playing about that aspect of it but it doesn't change how I feel about the rest of the series. The, the comparison I hear uh, most often is to uh, Battlestar Galactica and Lost with their endings. Now, I haven't, I haven't watched Lost, so I don't, 
I, I, I don't know how that ends, but I, I don't think the BSG comparison is a fair one because BSG, and really I've heard Knights of the Old Republic 2 as well, and it's kind of the same situation, but I think with those two, uh, with that show and with that game, uh, those were slow deaths. Like you could watch those, uh, those show, you could watch those things unravel over the course of, uh, in Battlestar Galactica's case, two seasons, and in KOTOR 2's case, um, what, probably, uh, final ten hours or so. So that was like, it was a slow, painful thing that you could just see coming. With Mass Effect 3, it's fantastic up until literally the last five minutes. And that's what, and that's what just kind of blew me, blew me away about it as well, is that, well, there's really all this vitriol over this final five minutes. Like I just, I, I didn't understand it. To speak on the ending of Lost, uh, that is an actual atrocity against humanity. Uh, <laughs> okay, but, but is it? But is it? This is a serious question. But is is it a slow death? Like, is it something you can see coming, like a season or two away, or is it something that literally happens at the end and it's like, bam, this sucks. Uh, no, the the entire last season is devoted to answering a whole bunch of new questions instead of answering the questions that had been asked over the course of the the previous five seasons. So it's not it's not really a direct comparison. Um, a lot of people like the end of Lost. I think it's probably the worst ending of any television series I've ever seen, with maybe the exception of the last episode of Enterprise. But um, <laughs> it, it's uh, it, it's pretty bad. I mean, it's it's. Uh, yeah, I, I, it just makes me angry even to think about it. You know, it's funny you bring up Enterprise because uh, before w- before I finished Mass Effect Three, I actually, you know, I heard all the stuff. I was like, oh, the ending is so bad and it's so ridiculous that it doesn't make any sense. And I actually had myself convinced that it was going to be like the ending of Enterprise, where it was just like, where it was basically a simulation of some sort. I like, I had myself convinced that it was going to be the matrix more or less. And it's like mm-hmm. the reapers were like this or the quote unquote reapers were just this, you know, like the super intelligent computer that were playing a game or something. And at the end it would just be like, Oh, do, would you like to restart the game? Sure. And that, that's what I was expecting. I was expecting some kind of weird twist like that. That would have been pretty bad. It, w- it would have been, <laughs> but, uh, so, um, is that it? So, will we meet again next week for another Mass Effect podcast? We're talking about it every week now. Is that we, how this works? I, I will be at PAX, so no. Talking about, you'll be on a Mass Effect panel, or? Uh, I will be most likely having <laughs> dinner with Chi and his family. So. Oh. And I don't think he's played through Mass Effect. Two. He has not. He's going to do it while Richard watches. That's the. That's the <laughs> he's, here's, the here's the arrangement. It's like he's going to play Mass Effect, and I'm just going to get my laptop out and play Team Fortress, and we're just going to hang out for like seven hours together. So that should be fun. That'll be great. It will be. Great. No talking. No, no talking. talking. Well, that's our show, ladies and gentlemen. And I. Uh, sorry, I, Tim. I I can't. I can't do it with you. Performance anxiety. This has never happened before, really. It's just just so unusual. (laughs) Just just give me a minute or two. It's it's fine. We'll just can we can we just hug? (laughs) Hug for a little while. Tim, with with you here, I can't. uh, There's no way I can out outro you. So would you would you do me the honor of just sending us home? Would you get the order to leave, Doc? I'm a little rusty, but let me see what I can do. Uh, my thanks, first of all, to our special guests, Michael Cunningham. What a pleasure to finally 
share a podcast with you. Agreed, sir. Agreed. And if, if people want to keep track of you on the internet, where can they find you? I am on Twitter, Final Max Storm, and I also am the editor-in-chief of RPGamer.com. Feel free to check me out there. I've actually done some guest pieces for Game Critics, so um, yeah, I'm just all around. And, and is there a better place to find role-playing content on the internet than your site? I don't think so. I'd like to think we do a pretty good job uh, for a volunteer site where nobody gets paid to do anything, and uh, we try to keep up as best we can. And um, Yes, indeed. But <laughs> I am very, very thankful. Thank you very much for having me on. It was great to chat with all of you. I really enjoy all the work you all do, so... And all the work you used to do, Tim, before you quit and don't do anything anymore. That's right. <laughs> well, I guess, uh, Tim Spaeth, where can people find you now on the Internet? Uh, I am still on Twitter, uh, at Tim Spaeth, and, and that's about it. I'm posting there infrequently, but uh, occasionally we'll, we'll post a gem or two. And if I may say uh, how excited I am that I don't have to edit this show once it's over. I am so excited to just exit Skype and then put it behind me. Gonna say this is gonna this is gonna be an editing experience. Uh, it'll be a fun one, but it'll be an experience. And uh, Brad Galloway, great to talk to you again. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. I am still at GameCritics.com, the senior editor. I uh, can be found at the uh, Game Critics podcast that we do biweekly with our new host, uh, formerly led by the effervescent Tim Spath. And I'm also blogging at uh, Drinking Coffee Cola, blogspot.com, so you can check me out there. Uh, also on Twitter. Pretty busy on Twitter. That's probably the best way to reach me, Brad Galloway at Twitter. So uh, hopefully uh, you guys enjoyed the show. I really enjoyed the show. I, I was prepared to come on here and be grumpy and bitter and just to, like, you know, be really uncomfortable. But this was a really good conversation, and I think, uh, I, I think I'm glad that I was here. So uh, thank you guys for having me aboard. Thank Excellent. you, Brad. You're welcome. And uh, I'll flip it back to you, Richard, for one final good night. Thank you, Tim. That is it for our show tonight. If you've got any feedback for us, whether you loved the show or you hated it, you can always send us an email at podcast at gamecritics.com, or you can just leave a comment on our website. For all of us, good night. No, I'm, I'm not saying bus shots. It's just, it, no, it's not happening. 